Hey there, welcome to our AP Legal Zone podcast brought to you by AP Lawyers. We are your top fix for all weekly law updates, including family, immigration, wills, and estates law. Just a friendly reminder we are not your lawyers, and everything contained in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and not to be construed as legal advice. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about our new episodes. Hello, I'm Angela Princewell. And I'm Shereen Abdi. And our topic for today is unequal division of net family property. And by way of a quick intro, if you're going um, through um, a separation or divorce and you're equalizing your properties, well, it's what you're required to do, but clearly you could choose to do it or not do it. But if you're in the process of equalization, um, there's times when in the course of disclosure, it might occur to you that um, maybe a straight out equalization is unconscionable. And I know that sounds like I'm using a big word, but it's for a reason. So if it's unconscionable and if the circumstances are right, um, you may be um, entitled to pursue sort of a claim for an unequal division of net family property. It's not an easy claim to succeed on, and there's a lot of factors. I would have Shireen kind of read through what the act says, and then we would go through each factor um, one after the other. Take it away, Shireen. <laughs> yeah, so basing on what you've talked about, um, I think it's also important we do have another episode on equalization. So if you don't really have that background or really know what equalization is, I think it's imperative that you go watch that episode first or listen to that episode, and then you know, come back and maybe see if this applies to you. But as Angela said, you know, the court can award an amount that is different than the equalization amount, um, having regard to several different factors, one of them being a spouse's failure to disclose to the other spouse debts or liabilities existing at the date of marriage, Uh, the fact that debts or liabilities claimed in the reduction of a spouse's net family property were incurred recklessly or in bad faith, And another factor is a part of a spouse's NFP, I'm sorry, I'm referring to net family property, (laughs) um, that consists of gifts made by the other spouse. Another factor being the spouse's intentional or reckless depletion of his or her net family property. And the fact that the amount of the spouse would otherwise receive is disproportionately large based on the period of cohabitation being less than five years. And the fact that a spouse one spouse, sorry, um, incurred a disproportionately large amount of debts or liabilities other than the other spouse for the support of the family. Um, Another factor being a written agreement between the spouses that is not a domestic contract and any other circumstances related to the acquisition, disposition, preservation, maintenance, and improvement of property. So that's a lot we just threw at you. Yep, it is. It is. And I think the starting point of all of that is the court may award um, a share that's an amount that's more or less than half the difference between the net family properties. If the court is of the opinion that equalizing the net family property would be unconscionable. So one of these factors that Shireen has um, just mentioned, which is about eight of them, and we will go over each one. But even though it applies to you, if the result is not unconscionable, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, so if it if it's just unfair mm-hmm. um, or just unjust to you, it may not meet that high no, threshold. No, it will not. Yeah, yeah. Just call it yeah. as it is. To it it may not. not. It's, it's, it has to be what the court refers shocking to one's conscience, and that is the meaning of unconscionable. Yes, yeah, so I, I remember many years ago I had um, a case where um, we had, I mean, you and I were working on this file, and I think it was a swimming pool and that had, had to be fixed. I don't know if it was close to 10000 It was an amount that was significant to our client, for sure. Not, not To the party, particularly. Not trivial for us as well, but we, we, made it, we understood that it was, while it would be, it's a lot of money and it's unfair, um, but... We were saying it's not unconscionable, but I mean, just because we wanted her, we, we got a, the, the judge to kind of give um, her input on this issue and she was just, she just wouldn't have it. And, you know, even though we had tried to prepare the client for this outcome, she was shocked. She's like, what did she mean? It's a lot of money. And we're like, yeah, but it's, it's not shocking to the court's conscience that yeah. a person spent, you know, almost $10,000 um maintaining the pool and again it, it i guess it also depends right in this case it was a the house was one point something million and that was before yeah. this it is was a, a few... big selling feature for the home oh, yeah. she had incurred a significant amount to her to renovate the and the courts did not think repair, it was the main yeah. thing they didn't think it was shocking and and i i think i want to put that in context because that amount may be shocking for in another context right mm-hmm. and again this is i know anyone listening to this like in 2021 is thinking well you know one point something million dollar home in toronto that's a shack but no this was a few years back yeah when this was when they were actually you could get a decent home a very for good amount. value for your for your dollar there <laughs> yeah so well we, you know what's interesting we didn't want to really think so then but i mean yeah now we're <laughs> thinking wow we just got it like the people who bought properties two years ago are thinking they got a steal but you no know. kidding but this is not a real estate separate so we're going to move on yeah, um, i think do you want to go over each individual yes. one? Okay. Okay. So starting with the first one, um, so a court would do a variation. And remember, you can when we're talking variation here to again for those that aren't very grounded on the equalization thing, when yours when you separate, um, the courts are the goal is to make sure you both live with half of your your assets each, yeah. both people. So when they calculate assets in your name and assets in the other person's name, whoever has the greater amount left splits what's the difference with the other party so that you live equally. Yeah. So what we're talking about today is a situation where you're saying, no, I don't think it's us living equally or... is, is appropriate in these circumstances. Yes. I should get more, well, the court does say less, I don't know whoever asked for less, but I guess less for the other party. But that's the the whole idea is we're trying to to vary and not have both parties live equally. Okay, so the first factor: a spouse's failure to disclose to the other other spouse debts or other liabilities existing at the date of the marriage. Yeah, I mean that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, no, but they might not understand the significance, right? Mm-hmm. And the significance of this is. When we're calculating equalization and when you're preparing your financial statements, things like that, the debts that you have on the date of um, marriage is part of the things, the factors that go into equalization. So we look into your assets owned at the date of marriage, your debts owned and things like that. So if you have a significant debt or whatever, like it might affect the equalization in one way or the other, right? Can you think of another scenario that this might be significant? 
like uh, other okay. than a dad no so no i'm saying in this like that's the best way i can best example i can think of at this point yeah. to, to i can't explain. really talk yours yeah. <laughs> <For me, laughs> that's why yeah. the failure to disclose this this debt um at the date of marriage might be justified right because what you're equalizing is your assets your debts and your liabilities at three point or two points of time really your mm -hmm. date of marriage and your date of separation so yeah. all of these dates and those values will all play a consideration how much equalization is payable and you know yeah. what you can deduct and what you know would would increase the calculation or decrease the calculation okay. so yes it would be it would um, be an issue <laughs> so the second one is the fact that the debts or other liabilities claimed in reduction of a spouse's net family property were incurred recklessly or in bad faith yeah so <laughs> i think a, a recent example i could say of um maybe if a party is gambling you know a significant mm. portion of their net family property and like recklessly so like if someone or someone has an expensive hobby i think that was one of the issues yeah, we dealt I think with that one i think of more in terms of reckless depletion though when i think here because this is just debt or liability so a person mm -hmm. can recklessly deplete assets without necessarily incurring debts but I think an example that comes to mind for me that would fit probably more into this B example is of, you know, debts that are claimed in reducing the net family property is say a person goes into a business, someone just decides to start a business that has no reasonable prospects of success. Uh, yeah. Well. And now you incur so much debt. And so, you know. You know, it's reckless. It might not you. be in bad faith, but it's reckless. So now it reduces. I and mean, think about this strategically now. It reduces your NFP at the date of marriage, but that business may may potentially pick up in the future. And now, so if my client comes to me saying, um, you know, my wife has started this business and she started this business how many years ago? It's just she's racked up like fifty to $500,000 in debt. The business is worth nothing or whatever. But now when we do the net family property, it's that debt has essentially wiped off yeah, all of the assets, you know? Especially if maybe your matrimonial home is not um, jointly and it's solely in that party's name. Let's say they took out a significant portion from mm. maybe the line of credit attached to the home or refinance the mortgage. Yeah. And then they put that debt into, like you said, a business or something like yeah. that. So yeah, it, it would definitely And just impact. imagine in this scenario of the business as well, they're going to, they're, there's, what if that business picks up three years after we've completed equalization? So in that scenario, I would definitely be pushing for a variation because the business can pick up but I'm not there to get the benefits of, of that business when it picks up, but I have suffered in the fact that I, I lost out on an equalization amount that I could yeah. get. So, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my thought there. What's the, what's the third factor? Uh, a part of a spouse's net family property that consists of gifts made by the other spouse. <laughs> it, I mean, it, I, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's gifting you, you know, because if someone's, especially... If it's a true gift, like if it meets the intention of a gift or the characteristics of a gift, yeah, I would understand like it being part of your spouse's net family property to unnecessarily maybe increase, mm -hmm. you know, their their NFP, then obviously something that worth considering, a yeah. variation. This is not one that I, I find 
Oh, yeah, it's not one that comes up. Even when often. gifts when gifts come up for me, it's usually in the context of I want to I want and an exclusion. Yeah, of or or even or or somebody wants their ring back or something along those lines, right? So, but it, it's it's something that's available for us to rely on when and if we do need it. Mm -hmm. um, another factor is a spouse's intentional or reckless depletion of his or her family property. I think you're gambling This is where, example. yeah, my Perfect gambling here. example would have worked yeah. better here. No, but tell us tell us more because I think I caught you off there. when I did have a, a, a recent um, issue with this, and I think the parties actually had won the lottery, which I you know we're not lucky enough Yay, to good do. For them. <laughs> I mean, good for them until you hear the story. But ideally, yeah, like they they won the lottery. How they won about they just shy of a million. Oh, wow. Um, and then you know the the husband had a severe gambling problem, so oh. they had all this money in in like a, I think a mutual fund at the time. He depleted it by his gambling addiction by more than half of the amount that they won over the course of, I think, five years. Yeah. So, you know, that would have been a great circumstance yeah. where I, I would say that would be unconscionable. So, but So the money went from almost a million dollars to less to than... To less than that. So they think they about had $200,000 no in total to share. So it's yes. a significant uh, yes. depletion for sure, and that was reckless, of course. Like I gambling mean, like, is not, it's not like a, you know, an investment, of if course. Not it's if definitely... not, if not intentional, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's a great example. I can't even top that one, but yeah. that's because a lot of a lot of my. Um, a lot of times when clients have spoken to me trying to, you know, claim reckless depletion, I've never had anything at the scale at which you're describing. Yeah. Some people would have had people, you know, talk about Lego collect Lego collection. Or like RV. I have no idea how expensive like Lego oh. collection could get. Like but people have expensive it's, hobbies. And you, that's the thing a lot of people will say, Well, he spent maybe forty thousand dollars on tools over the course of twenty something years. Only now in the course of a year, like twenty thousand Yeah, on on tools which do have value. Exactly. So like they would be attributable to on mm -hmm. his NFP somehow. But but yeah. Exactly. Like, so that's another thing. Like so the when when you talk to us, um we we try to find the line of last when I say path of least resistance. Yes, that's the most common so, quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because why do we want you know, you might come to us and you're insisting on us fighting over well, I don't want to use the word fighting to for a negative connotation, but just you're trying to make sure that we get you what you're entitled to. This person has spent so much on tools and you know, maybe it's not even a handyman, there's no value to this and in, in your mind, but rather than maybe asking for an unequal share of equalization, we may rather go the other way and say include the value. Yes. Um get them you know, appraised. Yes. So things like that. So we might rather get the tools valued and added to the NFP rather than going this route because that'll be the um, path of least resistance but let's say they bought something as i don't know if legos what like do, there's some things or that like you, a lot of like some things that depreciate have, so fast that it's like can't vehicles save it. like someone has like a vehicle obsession and mm. you know obviously when i see like reckless depletion i mean like there are debts like you guys have six cars sig you're you have significant debts and yes. instead of you know paying off those debts you're incurring more 
by to you know fond this, your habits. Yes, mm-hmm. and like it's not uncommon that people have like a motorcycle collection yes, or that's true. you know like a sea do. I don't. I don't. What are those called? Yeah, you know, I don't even the, know. Yeah, those, those recreational yeah. water activity vehicles. <laughs> you know, that's a long-winded answer, but I'm sure someone's laughing because they know the exact <laughs> word I'm looking for. But that's fine. Yeah. No. Yeah. So if those things they deplete in value, um, we even if we put try to put the current value of the NF on the NFP, it doesn't kind of make up for what's happened here and it's unconscionable again not simply unfair it's shocking to the conscience if you have you know uh, an average middle-class family and in maybe you know each party maybe ending 40 50 thousand dollars each and you have six cars and one person's like you know buying like all of these like motorcycles i don't know if they increase in value so if they do this is a bad example but you know what we mean no but they normally decrease especially like if you're separating 20 years down the line like that's not helping you in terms of uh, getting that value i want to be careful with you using 20 years because it would not it would not qualify as intentional depletion like if someone's acquiring something over the course of 20 years first like the courts don't want to hear that right it's like yeah. it happened while you were married so mm-hmm. but I, we want something a little bit closer to the time of separation <laughs> I and something have that's it over a lot, 20 years. A lot but, yeah. more like ridiculous if mm-hmm. an asset that does not increase in value uh or that depreciates in value uh, and, and so it was that, reckless yeah, right and, it, and not just unfair but it's you know if a court hears it or if a, an objective third party hears it yeah if you've condoned there. the the behavior if you've exactly. kind of you know assisted maybe or enjoyed you know let's just the use them. with them yes like or your children enjoyed it, it was a family um kind mm-hmm. of consideration then of course like it's not really reckless in the sense that yes it may have been reckless for the two of you but <laughs> i mean you know it's not the other part yes. it's not the other part it's just your your lifestyle and and that's a that's the reality like a lot of people if we all go through each other's budgets we would definitely come up with something that we think the other it's person is ridiculous. doing that is ridiculous for sure. But that's that's you do you, I'll do me, and and that's all well and good. But it's, when we're talking in the context of a separation, um, you know, it, it has to be something that you never agreed to and you've objected yeah. to, and you can't have condoned it for for the for last like even how 10 many years? years. Yeah. yeah. So okay, just wanted to clear the air there. Yeah. Um, where were we? This okay. is probably the most common one. Would you agree? Which one? Uh, oh, the yeah. fact that it, the amount a spouse would otherwise receive is disproportionately large in relation to the period of cohabitation. That is less than five years. That is less than five years. That is most yes, far. that's the most important part. <laughs> I, <love> that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's, it's it's always the one. I don't know if it's the most common one that jumps out to us the most because, because it's the most prevalent. I imagine for us because it, it just spells for us. It just spells. This is not. This is not fair. <laughs> Is it unconscionable? But yeah, so this is, so just so you understand where we're coming from. Imagine, um, you know, you're married to someone, you guys got married three years ago. No marriage contracts, nothing. And now you have, you you brought into this marriage a matrimonial home. Matrimonial home now worth $2 million. Based on normal rules of equalization, holding every other thing constant, and you have a $2 million home, no mortgage, just take everything out of, of the picture. So now this person is entitled to a million dollars for being married to you for three years. Mm-hmm. Even let's call it 500,000. It's still somewhat shocking to me. Oh, you yeah. know? So I want to explore, I want to explore those, um, you know, and I shouldn't even say just married, a period of cohabitation. So I want to be very yes. careful there because 
Sometimes we try to tap on like times where people cohabited before marriage, or I, I'm more famous for trying to discount time for when people were married but didn't really live together. And I only want to look at the period of actual cohabitation because that happens for a lot of people that um, sponsor um, their spouses. spouses yeah. yeah. So it's. So, like, think of maybe a year marriage, but a maybe six month cohabitation or something yeah. prior to, or in the opposite. Think of maybe a five-year cohabitation and a one-year marriage. No, I mean, for me, it Which, jumps out all the time when yeah. we have our clients. Like, I mean, we, we have an immigration department here. So, you know, it's exciting when people's spouses come. But imagine if they have to go through a separation two years after. And you're coming, to, you're new to the country. Um, you know, you're settling in, clearly giving up a lot to come here to join your spouse. But the unfortunate thing is the spouse is the one here with a matrimonial home that now has to be that has to be split and again we're not we're not suggesting that there's any foul play on any one side we're just saying if our client is having this conversation with us we're definitely going to look at whether it's unconscionable that you should live with that now in the spirit of just kind of quantifying shock here um let's say the person is getting fifty thousand dollars from the matrimonial home for a one-year marriage i don't think that's that shocking mm -hmm. i know it's a huge amount and i'm just fitting it out there but i'm just saying i'm just trying to kind of put things in context here yeah i mean i think the leading case on this was about two hundred and sixty thousand. similar circumstance brought in the matrimonial home into the marriage equal the full equalization payment was about two hundred and sixty thousand. the court ended up she was asking either that or a variation based on a percentage of four out of the five years that they were mm -hmm. together but instead the court only gave her sixty thousand. Mm -hmm. so it's not so much the amount sometimes it's all it's a fact driven situation it's all scenario based like it it's not just mm -hmm. one paint of one stroke of, of a brush and then that's what's going to happen yes yeah, so in some cases it doesn't but, matter it might be appropriate to get that to yeah, 60, fifty thousand. i don't know <laughs> but yeah but you know um you know the amount may end up being sixty thousand, but mm. would fifty thousand or sixty thousand be unconscionable from the onset? That I can't, I can't see. No, yeah. But again, you never know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you definitely clarified that for sure because it's all, it's all fact specific, right? But here's another scenario that I've found that's happening a lot. So someone would, once you cross that five year threshold, it gets more interesting so i have had clients that have been you know that's been i don't know five and a half years or or six years and obviously it's so close to the five-year mark and the other side is obviously not thrilled to have to pay this to have to pay the full equalization of i mean again thinking in that scenario being married to someone for for six years and maybe not financially contributing and or maybe we don't even have the other macros of a traditional mm -hmm. marriage in that sense and now that party might feel well it's unfair for for him or her to just walk away with two hundred and sixty thousand dollars right but we don't make the laws we are here yeah. to try to help squeeze your your case your situation in the most favorable way under the law but i just that yeah, five years is significant it is um and based off like that particular scenario that you mentioned like maybe the next scenario would help yes. which is um the fact that one spouse has occurred a, a disproportionately <laughs> large amount of debts or other liabilities for the other spouse in support of the family so for example if 
maybe there's a huge debt that a party has to take on, mm-hmm. it would be unfair because he's had to support or she's had to support the family that entire period. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they just met that six-year threshold that you're talking <laughs> but, about. But even painting a, a fuller picture, right? This is why it. this is important is when you're doing... Your NF people don't share debt. So people come and, and when I'm sure that this happens to you a lot. They're like, yeah, we have, you know, $50,000 line of credit. I want to share that. We have a car. I want to share. And we're like, yeah, it's all good, but we don't share individual assets. Yeah. And we never share debt. Unless so, it's joint. It, yes. Unless it's in both your names. Yeah. So then it's shared. But if it's, if one person has, but usually it's one person has a debt and they're like, well, I, you know, he With told all me her he was going to do this. Yes. Or, yeah, or... It's in your name, it's yours, except the other party agrees with you. So the problem with this with this scenario is when you're doing the NFP calculations or whatever, even if you have a, if it turns out you have a negative $1 million situation, we're not going to divide that negative amount. It mm-hmm. just all comes down to zero. So if you have you get it, 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 it happens in such a way that you have so much debt and you're stuck with it and it doesn't matter how much. So imagine if you have a million dollar in in debt and the other person even gives you an equalization of two hundred and sixty thousand. It doesn't offset the debt that you're keeping at all mm-hmm. because you're holding. You, you can't. We can't divide your debt once you have. Once you cross zero, we stop at zero. We can't deal with negative yeah. numbers. No. And now the other person has like this positive number, but it's still the it's not balancing here. And this debt was incurred because you know the family one has been living used to living a certain lifestyle. Maybe you guys agreed to continue to maintain that lifestyle, yeah. and now maybe you paid off all of the other spouse's debts. Very common. Yeah. By using that line of credit or that that mm-hmm. debt that loan that you have. So yeah. It's... So in that in that scenario, it's definitely worth seeing if you know, this section would be applicable to you for sure. And um, Shireen's favorite, are we there yet? Oh, okay, no, we're not there yet. (laughs) Uh, Written agreement between the spouses that is not a domestic contract. What I can think of here is maybe like a trust declaration or like something in Mm -hmm. particular respecting. Maybe, you know, the way I interpret it, and I've never actually had to also deal with this, is when you know how parties come to an agreement but it's not it doesn't meet the criteria of a domestic contract mm-hmm. but it, it is still an agreement between the parties it's something that should should could just be, be discounted so when people do so if you have a marriage contract for example that's not a, a valid domestic contract because of whatever elements are missing but it still kind of shows your intent and you're saying well the intent was never for her to get this or that yeah. While your contract might not be enforceable, this section might allow you be able to reduce the amount of equalization that that person gets. Yes. Okay. And Shireen's all-time favorite. <laughs> the one I feel like we use second most often. Actually, you know, when maybe that one, the other one fails, we use this one. Yes, when when the other when we can't when we when we're past the five year threshold. Yeah, this is and there's our... a property. This is where we usually go. Um, and it's any other circumstances relating to the acquisition, disposition, preservation maintenance or improvement of property like now you see why we have this is this is like our this this is like okay let's see how can we make it fit right (laughs) because yeah as we had said earlier if the five years has passed and you still think it's unfair and i'm deliberately using the word unfair here and then we would look to see okay is it unconscionable 
given the fact that you acquired this property, you you preserved it, the other party didn't contribute to yeah, maintaining it in any way and things like that. So yeah, this most is the common section. probably like investment properties that you yes. know and you know maybe that spouse had nothing to do with it. We've, over had, the yeah, time. we've had people that have come in with um, investment properties into the marriage and yeah, you're right. The other party wanting an equal share, obviously that's not what we, not if that's our client. Depends on, it always depends, depends on, on who's who our client. client but, but yes, um, this is like the most common one that we would have used. Yeah, so um, that's, I mean, I guess that's it. Do you have anything to add? No, I think that's everything. Okay, so well, we've we've done um, an in-depth discussion of Section Five, Sub Six of the Family Law Act, and that's where you would find um, that's where you would go to if you believe that your um, an equalization of your net family properties is unconscionable. Go through the factors, as we said, it's all fact-driven, and you know, if you talk to us, it's our role to advise you on how we can get. How, how your facts can fit into these scenarios or frankly honesty is the best policy if we don't think that you meet the test for unconscionability we will let you know like right off the bat and on that note we'll sign off for now have a wonderful day bye Thanks for listening and joining us in the AP Legal Zone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more episodes by searching AP Legal Zone on anywhere you watch podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast today so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about any new episodes.